Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and on this episode, we are doing the 46th Best Picture winner, The Sting. The Sting is a 1973 caper film about two conmen and grifters trying to bring down a mob boss in the 1930s. It stars Paul Newman, Robert Redford, Robert Shaw, and Eileen Brennan, and it was directed by George Roy Hill, who had previously directed Redford and Newman in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which was a Best Picture nominee, but sadly did not win, and Confession, the minute I finished watching The Sting, I immediately had to double feature with Butch Cassidy (laughs) and the Sundance Kid, but that is a movie for another episode. Well, you know, it lost to Midnight Cowboy, so yeah, another episode. (laughs) Uh, The screenplay for this one was by David S. Ward, who was inspired by research he had done i think in relation to another film on like con men and grifters mm-hmm. and um in particular the real life cons of brothers fred and charlie gondorf gondorf of course then being the last name of paul newman's character mm-hmm. and actually the author of the 1940 book um david Maurer, uh who wrote the big con the story of the confidence man sued because he said the script was plagiarized from his book. And apparently that was like not the only legal battle that happened around this film. Cause there were several different, yeah, several different sources claimed that it was like plagiarized. I think the studio settled out of court for at least that one. And mm-hmm. Ward very, was very much maintained and was like adamant that he had used a lot of different sources in his research. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a plagiarism of any particular source or anything. He had just been doing a lot of research and there were a lot of like different aspects that he found really interesting that he then folded into that screenplay. Oh, nice. Speaking of kind of like inspiration for the film with a very narrow segue here, um, Hill was very adamant that the film have like a sort of thirties look and feel to it since that's Mm -hmm. where it, like when the movie is set. Um, So they used some like old 1930s style lighting techniques in conjunction with like modern day techniques to kind of get that look and feel. Yeah. And he very specifically cited like watching a lot of gangster films. And I thought this was particularly interesting where he was quoted as saying, um, Jimmy Cagney would be shot down and die in an empty street. So I deliberately avoided using extras. Nice. Which didn't register to me when I was watching the film but now that I've heard that I'm like yeah I'm like oh yeah of course and as I was watching it there was something about it that like I was sitting there being like there is a distinctly 30s film like feel to a lot of the ways this is shot Mm -hmm. and like I couldn't put my finger on a lot of it but like as I was reading it I was like oh it's those little details that really make it feel that Mm -hmm. way well and I will say it also kind of had a 70s vibe not maybe in the cultural sense but like the film grain and some of just the way that it sounded and like actually looked on the film I know that that's not a very good way to describe it but that that just to me screams that era but I don't know yeah I I see weird things like that (laughs) well it's not it's not like a copy of a movie from that era it's definitely like a little bit of an homage to mm-hmm. kind of a mix between gangster film and screwball comedy in a lot of ways yeah i can see that um and then one thing in particular which i thought was very interesting is the um 
title cards that they use. Yeah, I which, loved them because I it like too. takes you through the whole con in a way that's super easy to follow, but also that throwback to the 30s. Right, because it is a very complicated film. And as we get more into like going through it, I want to talk more about like the very delicate balance that I think the movie struck dealing with a genre that can be very complicated and can be mm-hmm. very difficult to pull off because there's just the right amount of letting the audience know what's going on, but holding just enough back to where they can throw like a twist at you that you don't see coming, or they can surprise you in certain ways and kind of make you unsure and really build tension around like, you know, it's a movie about two con men and a lot of the movie you're like, who's getting conned? (laughs) Yeah. Are they conning each other? Partially because of the way it's set up at the very beginning after we get the beautiful title sequence that's in Uh the same style as those title cards, all of which are inspired by illustrations from the Saturday Evening Post, Mm -hmm. which was really popular in the 1930s. But yeah, we'll we'll jump right into that in a second. We open with a con. (laughs) First, before we get to that specific con, because I just conned everyone into thinking we're getting to... Oh, you're being all meta now. <laughs> it was an accident and not on purpose. No, it was on purpose. Um, <laughs> Own it. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to run through uh, the other nominations um, and awards, and then I'll run through what else was nominated that year and a couple of interesting tidbits about those Oscars, and then we'll jump into it. So uh, Hill won for Best Director. Ward won for Best Original Screenplay. It won for Best Art Direction Set Direction, which I... 100% see especially with that horse bedding hall like oh my god beautiful it's there's like a weird meta aspect to this film because when we're kind of going through some characters later and there's a lot of characters oh, yeah. uh, which I think this movie does a really good job of handling such a big cast especially such a big supporting cast it's kind of very clear that like Redford Newman and Shaw are our big three mm-hmm but there's a massive supporting cast. But there are like certain aspects to the con and like those characters where I'm like, that guy's the set designer, that guy's the costumer. Like it's a little <laughs> bit of like a a play within a play kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, speaking of costumes, Edith Head won for costumes, which deserved. I mean, 100%. Oh, they were so good. And then uh, Marvin Hamlish won for. The official title of the award was Best Music, Scoring, Original, Song, Score, and or Adaptation. Such a mouthful. (laughs) I I wanted to specify that because we had talked in our um, previous episode on The Godfather about how that score got disqualified because it was originally nominated for Best Original Score. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if that was the only score award at that time during that Oscars, but because it had been partially reworked from like another film. But Hamlish uses a lot of ragtime music, Mm -hmm. particularly Joplin's The Entertainer, which is what kind of starts the film. And I couldn't tell from my reading if there was like kind of just this resurgence of Joplin in general, and then the film happened to kind of capitalize on it, or if the film really kind of like started the resurgence in Joplin popularity, or if it was kind of both. (laughs) But it's a little bit of an anachronism because the film set in 1936, Mm -hmm. Ragtime would have kind of like come and gone as far as popularity but I think more than anything it just like it hits the vibe of the film and like the idea of like the entertainer oh and you're putting on a show when you're doing this con 100% absolutely I I think it fits I do too I I loved it I was very here for the score um 
Robert Redford was nominated for Best Actor but did not win. Apparently his only acting nomination, which shocked me. Yeah, I I mean he was like, good. I'm I'm still debating whether he was best actor good in this. In this one in particular, I favored Newman's performance a little bit more. Yeah, agreed. Just because I thought Redford's performance was a little bit rocky at the start, but then it hit its stride very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I do think he he had a very difficult job because his character is really the one in question where you're like, is he going to con just Robert Shaw's character? Or is he mm-hmm. also going to be conning Newman? Like his is, the, his, his is the character in question a lot of the time. And I think he handles it really well because a lot of this movie is actors playing characters who are playing other characters. Yeah, it's it's a nesting doll of acting. And they yeah, pull it off really layered. well. I agree. Um, I think that's very hard to do, and I think they succeed. Um, it was also nominated for Best Cinematography, but did not win, which I'm okay with. I there, The cinematography, I think, was good, but there was nothing about it that really blew me away. And then it was nominated for Best Sound, but did not win. <laughs> they love a good shoe click in this movie (laughs) i do too it's why i love squeaky shoes on the crooked cop could you be funnier like i found that hilarious that they were going to put squeaky shoes on snyder like it's the movie the movie's very funny and like kind of lighthearted, especially in comparison to a lot of the other movies we've had recently and Mm -hmm. i was like i i still need to go by and like actually like do the count through the list but i swear it's like every five to seven years they're like okay you can have a little bit of comedy (laughs) and i live for those fun fact julia phillips who was one of the producers on this film became the first female producer to be nominated and to win best picture which 1973 a little late late, but you know we'll we'll take what we can get Other nominees from that year were American Graffiti, Cries and Whispers, The Exorcist, and A Touch of Class. I've only seen two of those. I've seen none, and I really need to see The Exorcist. I watched it with the volume really, really low. (laughs) (laughs) And like studying for a test in college to distract myself. It was with the lights on. With all the lights on. And I made my roommate Anna watch it with me too. I was like, I I can't be left alone while I watch this because uh, one of our friends in college. Matt, who's also a big movie buff, he and I would like trade films back and forth. And he was like, you have to watch The Exorcist. It's so good. And I was like, I really don't want to. And he was like, but you have to. I was like, fine, (laughs) but I'm going to do it on my terms. I love it. So yeah, um, it's no secret on this podcast that I'm I'm not one for the scary movies. No. No, No, but that's fine. Last fun fact before we finally jump into uh, the movie itself is um, during this Oscar ceremony, right before the host, David Niven introduced Elizabeth Taylor, who was going to present Best Picture. Um, A streaker ran across the stage. Nice. Very 70s. Doing a peace sign, too, which is very 70s. I just, I would never. (laughs) Yeah. David Niven uh, apparently quipped, the only laugh that man will ever get in his life is by stripping off and showing his shortcomings. Oh, my God. The shadiness. David Niven is like the most sassy British man like ever, and I love it. Oh, same. Okay, so, so shall we get into watch notes? <laughs> Let's get into watch notes. Um, This movie is very complicated, and we're going to do our best to kind of explain it and like do the reveal, like in our explanation, do the reveal as the movie does the reveal. But this is one where it's like, 
I you kind of have to watch it to get the full impact. I mean, pretty much every movie you need to watch it yeah. yourself to get your full impact and your full opinions. But this one in particular, it is very complicated and mm-hmm. very dense. So here's your spoiler warning to go watch it before you listen to us yap on about it. <laughs> yeah, this was so I've started doing a new thing. Um, completely on purpose and not at all out of laziness Naturally. or forgetfulness or anything like that, um, where I actually do background after I've watched the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, before we record and not like in the 15 minutes <laughs> before we start recording, um, which I definitely did not do this particular evening. Like but... I do any background. Anyway, carry on. (laughs) (laughs) Completely on purpose. A conscious choice on your part. Obviously. Yeah, of course. But um, I'm so glad that I did not actually do the background before I watched this movie because there are a lot of moments that I would refer to as like stand up and cheer moments Mm -hmm. where like the twist landed. And sometimes if you're a big fan, like if you read a lot of books or like you watch a lot of movies and stuff, I think it can sometimes be tough to really like get surprised like that because you kind of see it coming because you've seen a lot of the tropes or if you're people like us who like to watch and analyze movies, you'll be like, Oh, I think this is what's going to happen, which is also fun. But like having gone into this completely blind and not done any research and not really knowing a lot about the movie before I went in, I one enjoyed it so much, but I think if I had, known more i would have been robbed of some of that like emotional plot satisfaction and the thing that i love about it is it starts off with that satisfaction of the reveal and yeah lays out that you're not going to know who's conning who for the rest of this movie so like no we open on a superbly edited scene of a person walking into what later is revealed to be some sort of gambling office the premise is set up where he's got to make this drop of like $11,000 in cash, which a lot, a is lot a of lot money of money. for 1936. I mean, exactly. a lot of money for now, but I mean, I'd take $11,000 if uh, somebody I would gave it to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say no to that. Exactly. But as this man is leaving the office, he is put into a middle of a scene where a man in the distance is yelling, like, stop this guy running. He's stolen my wallet. And you see a guy running up forward. Right. So this numbers mob guy um, actually doesn't do anything to like stop Mm -hmm. the up. I'm going to say the apparent robber (laughs) who has apparently stabbed the apparent victim. And then you have Robert Redford also kind of walking into the same alley, carrying a briefcase as this apparent bystander. Good Samaritan, even. Good Samaritan, yes. Um, (laughs) Robert Redford's character, who we're introduced to, is his name is Hooker, um, which made me giggle every single time. <laughs> he throws his suitcase to knock down the apparent thief who drops the wallet that he apparently stole. <laughs> oh my goodness. And um, this whole thing ensues where the guy who's been robbed is saying, you know, I need to get that money to this certain place by this certain time because I owe some people and they're going to kill me if they don't get it by that time. But I've been stabbed in the leg. So, like, can you, good sir, mob numbers man, oh, and take mob numbers the money is like, there for me? You can trust me. I'm trustworthy. And I'm <laughs> so like, okay. Trustworthy. Okay. <laughs> right. 
And uh, so Hooker does this thing where he's like, oh, it looks like the guy took some of the money, so it's not all here. Mr. Mob Numbers guy, kind Samaritan, sir, do you just have a little bit of cash that you can use to, like, pat it out? Like, don't worry, there's more on, like, you'll get a reward for this. And guy's like, oh, yeah, sure, totally, because I'm definitely not going to try and steal this from you later. And uh, Hooker kind of like puts the money like in a bag and he's like here shove it down your pants because no one will look there <laughs> and you'll but be safe and you monster can take it to the location is like super thrilled about this so he like saunters off to his cab is like patting himself on the back like oh i just conned these men out of five grand or like, however much it was yeah like i'm not only have the money that i'm mm-hmm. supposed to take from my boss but like i made a little on the side opens up the handkerchief and what is inside but more handkerchiefs Nothing. just so many handkerchiefs, <laughs> which then, of course, we cut back to the alley. We figure out that the guy who's been robbed, who is Luther, played by the fantastic Robert Earl Jones, mm-hmm. father of James Earl Jones, um, is, in fact, working with Hooker, who is, in fact, working also with the guy who apparently stole all the money oh, yeah. and that the whole setup was this con. Yeah. And it was uh, that reveal I was not ready for it, but I was like, I smiled when I saw it. Cause I was like, Oh yeah. Cause it's only hooker that checked the stab wound. And Oh yeah. Robert Earl Jones, Luther was definitely putting on an affect to sound more stereotypically African-American that he drops as soon as the cons over. Right. Because you realize kind of as that scene's unfolding, um, there's also like some slurs used by the guy who's mm-hmm. like apparently robbing him. You're like, oh, this scene is like really cringy. I mean, it still is kind of cringy, but like you're you're like, oh my gosh, like here we are in like the stereotypes and all of mm-hmm. that stuff. And then you realize that it's in fact like Luther playing on these stereotypes in order to get the con going like it's it's the idea that like nothing is going to be what it appears like and Mm -hmm. everything that you like is a stereotype probably has something going on behind it because they kind of do it a little get a bit again later with paul newman's drunk character Mm -hmm. but we will get to that oh yeah it's also a good scene but really tidy introduction to our main characters get some time to see luther who is really great i love that character I am so angry they did him as dirty as they did. Do him dirty later, yeah. Um, But we meet Luther's family, too. We kind Mm of uh, learn a little bit about his wife, who apparently was, like, a big grifter in her day. And I want a prequel that is, I think her name's Alma, right? Uh, That sounds right to me. Alva. Alva. Played by Pauline Myers. Yes, yes, um, Alva. I because you know that Alva and Luther met in like some sort of epic con. We need that movie. I would watch I that, that show. I want that prequel. I, <laughs> that would be <laughs> okay, Sadie Doyle. Yeah, I I really wanted to see more of them. What we come to find out, well, one, we have this scene kind of right before that where um, Hooker like squanders his cut of the mm-hmm. prize. We know exactly um, who Hooker is. That is like a pure character development for him. Yeah, like young hotshot, doesn't know when to stop. Meanwhile, doesn't know that it's have... a bad idea to bet $3,000 on only one color in roulette. 
and, and a that's clearly rigged bet. game and yeah. a clearly rigged game um, versus Luther, who's like the experienced con artist has been kind of this mentor and who tells him that he's getting out of the game. Like they had mm-hmm. a good take. I think it's like $600 a piece or something. And he's like, you know, like I'm good. I'm out. Like this gives me enough to be able to basically buy into a mostly honest business and yeah, kind, of, kind of semi-retire. I love it. Yeah. Interspersed with that, we also understand that um, Hooker has managed to get himself in with some pretty nasty mob folks. He has accidentally robbed the wrong numbers guy. And the way that they introduce mob boss uh, Doyle... Lonigan. Lonigan. I always want to call him Luther for some reason. I don't know. There's a lot of L's. There's a lot of names and a lot of people using other names yeah robert shaw plays doyle lonigan and paul newman plays henry gondorf also known as shaw in the film during the con (laughs) he goes by shaw so yeah we're gonna do our best to keep those names straight but that introduction scene there i i do actually want to like mention because it it's this super dark scene lots of high contrast could might as well be black and white like very little color in it but you get the um, I guess the underling kind of communicating to mob boss Doyle what has gone down. And With the camera just, just mm-hmm. on Doyle, like the back of Doyle's head, and it's like the close-up, so you can like yep. see him whispering in his ear. And then after the conversation kind of comes to like almost an end, you, you get Robert Shaw turning in profile, and we get like a look at Lonigan, our, our big bad. Yeah. Honestly, it reminded me a bit of the opening to The Godfather. Um, like it had a similar feel. It definitely felt less dragging like it yes. felt better paced pacing but pacing anyway. great in this film this movie was very well paced agreed ultimately we come to find out that because hooker has robbed the wrong numbers guy um they are sending folks after him and ultimately and his associates yes and this is where they did luther dirty in this film like this part yes this is problematic And it's in a very similar vein, which I know that we've hit on in other movies that Mm -hmm. we've covered from like um, a standpoint of like female characters where they will kill or like hurt a female character purely to spur on the development of a male character. And here they do it where they kill off Luther, who is one of the few characters of color, the most prominent character of Mm -hmm. color. And after this point, we don't really see another character of color. They kill him off in order to spur on the development of a white character. And that is problematic. Yes. Having Luther be a fully formed character that is not just existing in the context of Hooker should have been what happened. And honestly, like even having Luther's wife participate in the con would have been amazing they like indirectly involve her tangentially in some way later. But like, I really would have loved to see her like have more of a part in it or something like that. Or like, I, like, I don't know. I'm just like, there, you didn't have to kill Luther to no. do this. Like, I mean, he frankly didn't even have to die. Like hooker could have just been like, Oh no, they're after me. And Luther could have been like, I know a guy. Exactly. Not on board with that choice. It happened. No. And I have to say, up until the scenes, set of scenes we're about to talk about next, I was not 100% on board with the film. Like, I was like, okay, we'll we'll see how this goes. But, like, there, 
Like, I really liked Robert Earl Jones's performance as Luther, but I wasn't completely sold on Robert Redford's performance mm-hmm. as Hooker yet. Like, I was like, I, it feels a little clunky. I was like, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. When Hooker gets to Chicago and we meet Eileen Brennan's character, Billy, and we meet Paul Newman's character, Gondorf, that is where I think the film hits a new level. It hits a new stride. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, even... One, understanding that Billy takes zero shit. <laughs> Love that for, for her character. And then two, the introduction to Paul Newman's character, um, Gondorf, where we get him passed out drunk between the bed and the wall. Like, what a more perfect so character bad. introduction. And, and so funny. Oh, yeah. And we immediately roll into the cold shower, fully clothed Paul Newman, where Hooker is like, are you sober yet? Are you sober yet? Are you sober yet? Because <laughs> we got we got to run that big con. <laughs> but they also use a small space there really well, and they do this in several points in the film. So, like being able to arrange that scene in such an effective way and get everything like get that depth in there, I think is a really cool. Mm-hmm. Like they managed to do it really really well, and as you pointed out, light it in a very 1930s way because it like looks like a 1930s scene and we just get some wonderful like Paul Newman and Robert Redford just like doing a scene together like they're so they're so good together like I just talking about like on-screen chemistry Mm -hmm. the way that those two interact and it's crazy because they only did two films together I I don't think I don't think this movie works without that chemistry and I don't think this movie works without like how delicately the script handles what the audience does and doesn't know. Yeah, agreed. So yeah, we've, we've gotten these awesome character introductions. We have a little bit of Hooker trying to convince Gondorf that he needs to do the con. Didn't take very much convincing, which I kind of loved. No, because um, they both love the con. Oh, yeah. I think we get that sense from not just them, but like the team that we kind of, in this very tidy little montage, uh-huh. see them starting to put together that like, you know, the main ringleaders, as well as like all the various network of petty thieves and grifters mm-hmm. that they can apparently call on and that they put together, all of those people are in it for two reasons. One, they love the con. Two, they loved Luther. Yeah. And it's who would have thought that the grifter community was so tight knit, but hey, I'm here for it. <laughs> um, so we immediately roll into the section called the setup. And so they're going through their montage, collecting all of their associates. To clarify, when we call it the section, the setup, it is literally the title card, the setup comes oh, yeah. in. And then we have this section. And I love the way that they break that down because I think when you're dealing with a plot that is this complicated, kind of breaking down those steps for you provides like a much needed structure. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And so lots of funny scenes here especially the beautification scene of Robert Redford's character. <laughs> Major Tom Jones vibes because it's all like silent with like the ragtiming music going on over top of it. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know. I love that. We got it's this really fun. Um, it was Gondorf basically going around and bringing all of his associates out of the woodwork with his little signal on his nose. And it's very clear that everybody was on board because of how quickly they just dropped everything. Yeah. And I did love it the very end we get the crooked cop like playing cat and mouse a little bit trying to find robert redford uh, because he had like there's like a very brief moment where hooker like he's like trying to pay off the gangsters who are after him and he gives him some counterfeit money Uh uh-huh 
So the cop is coming after Hooker because of that, and he's just this, like, small-town gumshoe kind of very abrasive guy. With really squeaky shoes. Who Billy is taking (laughs) no shit from. Oh, I love it so much. When he tries to come into her place. Um, But there's also a scene kind of where they're talking about who they're going to bring in and how they're going to do everything, where they decide they're going to do this con called The Wire. Yeah. They don't tell us what The Wire is. And I so was wondering like, oh, the whole time, what is it? What's The tell Wire? Me. And they're use, they use a lot of jargon in this film that I think also kind of adds to that mystique. It adds to the mystique. It adds to the world building. But the way they deliver it and they use just the right amount of it to where you still understand the basics of what's going on. Yeah. You get that people are coming together to do something, but you don't always get the reveal until the right time. Yeah. And we don't actually find out what The Wire actually is is like why the plot is called the wire until the end of it and it's interesting because right before i think it was like the day before i watched this i was reading something um about like just story structure in general and it was about how in particular if you're writing like a heist story which in some ways it's not exactly the same but it's like similar to like a con story that if the heist is going to succeed you don't tell the audience what the plan is because then they get to watch it unfold and they get to be like nervous for you and they get to be like is this the plan is this what the plan is and that's like i think about all of the oceans movies that came out recently and that is exactly what they them. do don't uh, really care to uh, don't really they're care so to. good at least the oceans 11 is really really good and the most recent one was amazing oceans 8 i have seen did love it yeah but uh you know which is kind of what this movie does like it it does you know succeed in the end so Uh we kind of get to see the plan as it goes along and so much of this movie is us being like wait was that part of the plan or is hooker betraying gondorf or did something go wrong and now like this person's in a tight spot and they're gonna have to like improv like was that part of the plan who's coming (laughs) exactly and that the other side of that like bit of tidbit was like if the plan is going to fail then you tell the audience what the plan is so that they get nervous when they see it start to go off the rails ah i love it so anyway they've laid this all out and now we are into the hook and this is where we get my favorite scene i think maybe second to only the closing scene this the sequence is I, I think my favorite. It's superb. Film. So it goes into not telling us everything that's going on. So we're on a train. We understand that someone's wallet has been taken. It's been passed over to Hooker. Like something's happening. Yeah. Lonigan um, runs a high stakes poker game on this train. So we know this is what we know going in is we know that Gondorf is going to be posing as like a player in the poker tournament. And that's just, and that the whole purpose of this is to get Lonigan to buy into what is going to become the real con. We don't really know anything else about who's supposed to be doing what in this sequence. But we do understand the stakes. And so like the tension is there from the get go. Right. So we get a little bit where like Lonigan's going down the train and he passes who we find out is Eileen Brennan's character, Billy, and she's like taking his wallet and then she drops it on a seat where Hooker picks it up. Gondorf has bribed his way into the poker game and there's a great scene where it's Gondorf sitting across from Hooker and he's playing with that deck of cards. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a clever bit of 
like cutting here because it's it's not Paul Newman doing the stuff where it's like the close up on the hands and the card cards like actually doing the sleight of hand because that takes like an insane amount of like prep and practice yeah. that is somebody who would like is an expert at doing that and then there's a great part where the hands just disappear for a minute and then they come back to do something that's a little bit simpler and then the camera pans up and it's Newman <laughs> yeah again with that editing so good great editing but he's kind of like doing all the shuffling and we understand that Lonigan cheats obviously oh yeah and he likes to cheat using like a rigged deck usually with like eights and nines mm-hmm we understand that Gondorf is going to also do a little bit of sleight of hand. Now you see it. Now you don't trickery. But we don't know what cheat. yet. <laughs> we don't know exactly what. So building up in this scene, I love the way that Gondorf plays Doyle like a fiddle. So he comes I love, in. There's, hold on. There's a bit I have to highlight first. <laughs> is it the gin because- bit? Yes, because you and I are both gin drinkers, where uh, Gondorf is telling Hooker, you always drink gin around a mark because they can't tell you've watered it down. So he's like putting on gin like it's cologne. He like takes a swig, like does it like it's mouthwash, and then he empties half the bottle, fills fills the rest of it up with water. And I just, it made me really happy because I was drinking a gin and tonic (laughs) while I was watching this movie. Nice. And I'm drinking one while we record. Well, there you go. And In the spirit of the film. He walks into that high class poker game disheveled as fuck shirt unbuttoned smelling of gin all of the things that doyle hates and you can tell it newman's performance in this sequence is perfection and then of course also robert shaw's performance opposite that just slowly seething and getting angrier and angrier because his high secret high stakes poker game that he cheats it at aka his gentleman's poker game is it's just being ruined now and i don't know what like i'll call it anti-chemistry like almost i don't know you heard it here first it's chemistry Uh, (laughs) but it's a different kind it's so great how they play off one another and just even the supporting cast in it, like the mm-hmm. actors playing the other members of this poker tournament. And then there's also the right hand. I think I think the character's name is Floyd, who's like Lonigan's right hand. Yeah, that's correct. Who I really like. And so much of his position is like acting and reacting. And I think he does a great job, um, especially like the henchman versus Hooker mm-hmm. is always a fun little thing. But I want to talk in particular about how the poker game ends. Oh, because yes. Throughout the game, Gondorf is winning all of this money. He's being loud. He's being brash. Lonigan's furious. It has gotten down to just Lonigan and Gondorf, who's going by the name of Shaw, and it is very confusing for us all. The Shaws are playing poker. The Shaws are playing poker. (laughs) And we know that Lonigan has folded in the rigged deck mm-hmm. and he's he's told his guy like it's going to be the ones with the nines so we can see lonigan's hand and we see after they do like the i want three cards i want two cards stuff we can see that he has four nines and then we can see gondorf's hand where he has four threes so we're like oh my god he's gonna think he has it like four of a kind he's gonna think he's one so as lonigan is anteing up and like betting more and more and Gondorf is matching and then Newman's performance because there's like the henchman sitting behind him. So he's got the cards really close to his chest <laughs> and I'm, I'm acting this out as I do this. Everyone can see you. Just mental picture. <laughs> totally, totally not just an audio medium. Um, but he's like peeking at his cards and like making sure nobody's 
watching him and acting like a drunken fool as he like checks his cards really slowly. And so as the pot's getting higher and higher and cause Lonigan had decided like, I'm going to take it all back. I, I don't know about you, but like, I was getting so nervous. Oh, I was too. Cause they're flipping between the two hands and you know that the threes are going to lose, even though it looks like an yeah. amazing hand. Yeah. So you're like, Oh my God, is the, is the plan like already fucked? Is it going to go off the rails? They have to reveal their cards. Lonigan lays down his four nines. Gondorf lays down his hand. And it is four jacks. We have no idea when the switch came. No. But you can see on everybody's face that was in on it that they know something just went down. And I loved oh, but it. But they can't they can't do anything about it. Because what are you going to be? You're going to be like, I know you cheated because I cheated. So you should have lost. There like, you, you go. You can't do that. <laughs> but like, I'm pretty sure I like cheered out loud at that moment. Like, the fact that they like landed that twist and it was just such a great moment. And they've done such a great job in this moment of, despite the fact that like all of our characters are criminals. Mm-hmm. We have good criminals and bad criminals. Yeah, they've like made <laughs> enough of a distinction to where like I know who I'm rooting for. I know who I'm not rooting for, even though I am nervous that somebody in the team that I'm rooting for might be betraying other people in the team I'm rooting for. But then anyway, that sequence just is so good. Agreed. Like, again, one of my like top two scenes in the film. So second part of this. So now we don't know this going in, but we do know that Hooker has a role to play. So Hooker um, has to go collect this money from Doyle because, again, they took his wallet. So he is not good for his 15 grand or however much it was that he ended up losing. And this is when it goes back to that is this real or is this a con? So Hooker is like spilling the beans. It's two, it's always two questions. You're like, the first is like, is this part of the plan is always the question. And then it's mm-hmm. like, if it's not part of the plan, is it because somebody's like Hooker's betraying them? Or is it because something's gone wrong? Yeah. And we don't know I, until maybe midway through. That's when I really started to get it. Yeah, they I I don't think they ever leave you hanging for too long, but after they resolve that question, there's always very quickly another one. So it'll be yeah. like is this part of the plan? And then you have to wait a little bit and that's like, okay, that was part of the plan. Okay, we're good. But then something else happens, you're like, but mm-hmm. is that part of the plan? And I'm not sure. <laughs> but it it's very clear that Doyle has bought this like hook line and sinker. He's in. He's suspicious because he's always suspicious. He's a well, monster. Well, because here's where we get the the n- second part. Because you go in, you have Hooker like spilling the beans. And you're like, is this part of the plan? And then you're like, I'm pretty sure this is part of the plan. And then he goes back and talks to Gondorf. And you're like, okay, it was part of the plan. But there's the bit where Lonigan insists on giving him the ride home. And I was, I was like, is that part of the plan? Or like, is Hooker fucked? Yeah. Well, and I think the answer is no and no. And yes. (laughs) Well, he wasn't fucked, though. Oh, well. Almost was. Fortunately, they set a little trap to see if somebody had gone into his apartment and somebody had. So he gets away. Yeah, (laughs) because Lonigan sends people to just kill him. So the next big section that we're getting to is the tale. And so this is where we have Hooker, like, hammering home the con and the story behind what's going on. So he's meeting up with... uh, Lonigan. Lonigan. 
That's the name. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. I'm so I, I know him as Doyle, and whenever I try to think of his last name, it just doesn't happen. I know um, it's it's this one's just such a tough one too for names. Um, and Hooker's whole premise is, which Hooker is going by the name of Kelly, by the way, just to throw another wrench in that. Hooker saying like, I want to take over my boss's scam. So like, mm-hmm. you work with me. I'll supply the money. This is how it works. Like. I know somebody who's going to tell me who's going to win this horse race and then I'll give you the money and you bet it. And this will be like our trial run to see Mm -hmm. if we can trust each other. But the, again, they're setting up this tension again, where it's like you have a person looking from a window across the street, like through some curtains who we know is in on it because he's signaling the betting parlor. And -hmm. he's also the one giving the call to Doyle. the set dressing they've put together for this bedding parlor and you've got like it's plush <laughs> i think it's it's oh is it who's doing the calling for the characters is it one of one of the like main uh conspirators and billy are like in the room and they're like going over race results like trying to find like okay which ones are the odds that we're like a long odd that's gonna win that we can like hooker can tell Lonigan to place the bet on and they're like frantically setting all of that up they've got all of the conmen who are there helping out mm-hmm. and Lonigan comes in he places the bet as hooker told him to and he wins he does here's where like i mean really it started with like the sequence on the train but like mm-hmm. this is where i was all like okay robert redford's doing a phenomenal job and he deserves that acting nomination because the way he is like running the con and like playing off of Lonigan so that like he's acting like a guy who's trying to overthrow his boss, but also is trying like he wants the mark to know he's clearly acting the part, but he can't yeah. like overact the part because it can't seem like it's obvious. Like there's just such a fine line. Yes, and he he does it superbly. So it's like you can tell yeah. he's a little bit nervous, but not so nervous that it would set off alarm bells. Right. And I love the reveal at the end of this, where literally every single other person, other than Lonigan, is in on the con in this betting parlor. And during like the train sequence, there was like some lovely bits where it's I'm gonna call it the casting call for like the other con men where they're like coming in and if the guy yeah. likes him, he'll be like, Okay, go grab a suit off the rack and there's the guy who comes in who's like, Oh, I specialize in British people and like <laughs> pretending like a British I'm a British man and then he's like, Oh, well I brought my own stuff and then they're like there's the guy who the crappy cop had like slammed his face on a table. Uh-huh in the bar who was like a friend of Luther's and he wants to be, he's like never been involved in a con before, but he like wants to be because he was friends with Luther and they're like, get a suit. So it's this great bit where you're like, it's literally like, like they're putting on a play. Oh, it a hundred percent is all for Lonigan. And the set dressing is so good. So that, that reveal was just like, yes, I love this. And you know what the tale is then. And so I think that leads us into the wire where it's kind of revealed, um, at least what the Mark thinks the job is. Right. And And this this. is where I think, I think he's badgering Hooker on like, Uh how do you know who's going to win? How do you know who's going to win? And he's like, well, I have this contact at the Western Union who like, he gets all the results in from the races. He tips me off first. And then he like sends it to all the betting houses. Well, Lonigan wants to meet the guy. And here's another part where I was like, is 
this part of the plan or not, which I think this bit wasn't necessarily oh, with like Lonigan. A hundred percent thought it wasn't. <laughs> Anything Lonigan does, not part of the plan. No, yeah. He's like, I wanna meet the guy, I wanna meet your contact. And so they're like scrambling to have to find because they're like, yeah. we can't put together an entire Western Union off. Like we don't have that time. But I love how they run cons on cons on cons. Yes, there's so many layers. So they are posing as painters to get access to this Western Union, like, boss's office just for the little moment so that uh, Lonegan can see it. Yeah, so they get the guy out of the office. They're painting it, like, this hideous green color to, like... And, like, one quarter of one wall. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, one guy's painting it. The other guy, like puts like takes off the painter's thing he's got like a hat hidden and like a picture of it and looking like it hits him with a family to like put on the desk like in the paint cans or whatever he pretends to be the boss they have hooker bring lonigan down like a back door and he like comes out and pretends to be all nervous like you can't be here and i'm having my office painted and then there's the bit where he goes and he pretends to call this well he does call the secretary (laughs) and she and the actual boss are like What's going on? So by the time they get back there, though, like, Lonigan's gone, and so are... All the painters. The painters. I love it. And and like, half the office is just this hideous green. (laughs) It's funny, but also I feel kind of bad for that dude. He's just trying to do his job. (laughs) Yeah, I feel a little bit bad for him, but I feel more like it was really funny, and I enjoyed it. (laughs) Oh, it was 100% really funny, but... I think this, it also might be during this section that we are introduced to Loretta who owns the like kind of rundown cafe that a hooker has, I guess, been like grabbing food and coffee at. And there's clearly like something kind of sparking between the two of Mm -hmm. them. Um, So there's some interactions there. We are also, I think around this time introduced to, um, we get, we go back to, I think it's Snyder. Yes. The crooked cop who is like, I'm going to take down hooker. And then uh, gets called in by the FBI. They grill him a little bit. <laughs> they do. They're like, we're, we've been tracking him. And like, you know, we don't care so much about him. But like, we want to take down Gondorf. So like, you're getting in our way. So either work with us or don't work with us. Well, work with us with some kickback. Or I will force you to work with us without it. <laughs> <laughs> with no kickback. Yeah. So he agrees. And they're like, okay, so you can get Hooker and bring him in. And we'll like turn him against Gondorf. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. been going on. And then I think the last third little plot line that's been going on in the background is um, Lonigan is very not thrilled that Cole couldn't kill Hooker. So he's called in um, Salino. Who we don't know who Salino is right now. No, we don't. Um, the They wait a long time to show us who Salino is. Um, the reveal is perfect. It's very great. But... Uh, who's like I guess like their go-to hitman so that that pretty much wraps up that section and I have to say speaking of it being like cons on cons on cons they have like there are these like three secondary plots that I was just like somewhere around this time those are introduced they are introduced organically Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like they're just wedging something in in the final moment and every single one of them ties back perfectly at the end and it pays off that's the biggest thing they're not just throwaway. so again a lot of our complaints about having poor pacing like if you're going to take my time use it well like they do yes i think 
it could so easily have gone wrong in so many different moments, but it doesn't. And I'm so happy it didn't. <laughs> no, like it was it was incredibly satisfying. Speaking so of which, the moving shutout, on to the next section. Also pretty satisfying. So this is where Lonigan is wanting to pressure test that Kelly or Hooker knows and can pull this off. So we come to find out that he is going to be doing another bet. bet. Basically. basically, like it feels like it's like the next day, basically, right? Sounds about right. Hooker's like, we can't do that because they'll know. Like, they'll know something's up if you, like, get another long shot, Mm -hmm. like, two days in a row. And he's like, well, then I'll go for something that's maybe not so much a long shot. And they're scrambling to find it again. (laughs) Well, and because, like... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, they're scrambling. But also, like, they can't let Lonigan get another long shot because they do have to, like, pay him out those first couple in order to, like, lull him into a false sense of security. So they're scrambling to find something that they can basically afford. Exactly. And they're not sure if they can. So they set it up beautifully so that he gets shut out from placing the bet. Yeah, because they plant people in front of him. And I honestly, the way that they blocked this, so the directing here I think was, again, exemplary. So they have folks kind of like very suavely queue up in front of Lonigan as he's trying to go in. And the way that Lonigan shows how impatient he is with his body language and is crowding around other people, like you get his tension and desire to like do it. And for some reason, I, I don't know, I also got that sort of excited what's going to happen feeling there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you've got Gondorf back in the office, who's like cueing the guy who's acting like the uh-huh. announcers on the radio and also like cueing the people in line for like when they can move. It's it's so it's good. It's a ballet uh, of con artists. And and it's right <laughs> it's right up until the very end where he just gets to the window like a millisecond after like the race has started. So they're like, "Oh, can't place any bets after the race has started and he's yep. been shut out." And then Hooker as Kelly like gives him a little bit of shit over it being like, "Well, what happened?" <laughs> <laughs> I love that cuz it sells it. But Lonigan also can hear that the horses would have won, so he's like, "All right, if this goes off, so yeah, we're good. the tip was the tip was good. It was a fluke, allegedly. Of course, it was a fluke. <laughs> and this is where we are. I, I guess ending this is when Hooker starts to cozy up to Loretta and actually does visit her at her apartment and goes to bed with her. Yes, so. After a little tense situation where he's like at the diner late and he's like, there's somebody out there who's going to kill me. So like, is there another way out of this diner? That That was a good scene. Like how they had hiding in the bathroom and he ran, but he hid under the manhole cover. Yeah. He like zoomed in at the end of that scene. Yeah. He gets, he gets back in the alley and there, cause it's Cole who's chasing him. Mm Mm-hmm who was originally the guy who was supposed to kill him, failed. Yeah, he chases Hooker down this alley, and we're like, Hooker's cornered. But then with the clever bit of editing, when Cole gets there, Hooker's gone, and then Cole turns around and basically is like addressing who we understand as Salino, Mm -hmm. who then shoots Cole. But we, again, don't Don't see Salino, Salino don't hear Salino speak. We just know that Selena's there, which also not only does it set up this really great like twist, 
it also makes Selino into this like very scary figure because we don't know who it is. And so then, anyway, Cola shot, it zooms in on the man cover. We know that Hooker has gone down the man yep. cover. He and Loretta have really cozied up to oh, yeah. each other. And one scene that we did, we cannot gloss over, is a very tense one with the F- FBI agents. So again, they're yes. setting up that Hooker probably sold out Gondor. Yeah, because Snyder gets a hold of Hooker brings him to the mm-hmm. FBI and they're basically saying like, join us, join us. He's like, no. And this is, this is where they bring up Alva un, like tangentially as they're like, Oh, your friend Luther, his widow. Um, she was quite the con woman back in her day. Like what if we took her in? And so then hooker Ugh. folds, which makes so much sense for hookers character, mm-hmm. the way it they set so it up. Does. And I, I will talk about it at the end, but after the, I actually came back after the final scene to watch this scene again because there's something in particular I wanted to check on and I will bring it back up at the end. Okay, please do because I'm going to have to rewatch this. Yeah, just remind me to bring that scene up. So, anyway, we are at the day. They are running the con, the sting. Super tense beginning because throughout the film, they've sprinkled in like the scene of a character who we don't see with this like driving glove on and that's all we see also also a red suit that i'm yeah. not gonna lie reminded me of hooker's red suit when he first goes to it meet did, which um, is why I was Gandor- gondorf which i think they did intentionally because there was literally a because mo- there's a moment where we know that hooker was in loretta's apartment and that we've also seen the guy with the or uh, the driving glove uh-huh. and like the red suit like getting a gun and then there's a line that I wrote in my notes. I was like, please don't be foreshadowing because I really like Gondorf, where Gondorf was like, oh, they're going to end up shoot. They'll probably, like, if they shoot, they'll probably miss mm-hmm. you and hit me. And I was like, no. But I I thought for a second, I was like, wait, is Hooker Selino? Like, is Hooker Selino? And this is actually like, they're going to get Gondorf and all everything I've ever known is a lie. Like, I don't. There was a moment there. They it, they it set it up long. so well to make sure that you finished the movie. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, and the thing is, when I was thinking that, I was like, no, but I was like, it's possible. Instead, we have Hooker leaving the apartment, Loretta's apartment. He ends up down this alley, and he's looking for Loretta, and we see the like his back is turned and we see the guy we finally get to see the face of the guy in the red suit with the driving glove mm-hmm. and then we realize that no i was just being paranoid it wasn't hooker <laughs> and then loretta's walking mm-hmm. down the alley and the guy's drawing the gun behind hooker we're like hooker you're gonna get shot in the back and i was like loretta save him i was guy thinking shoots- the same thing yes guy shoots loretta and i was immediately like no she was so cute a hooker liked her what's going on i was on? like great we're fridging another woman no she is selino <laughs> <laughs> they tricked us again they tricked us they got me on that one they 100 percent got me on that one and it turns out that this is a guy that like gondorf had told to like follow around hooker because he was like hooker's gonna get in trouble because Gondor's whole thing had been like at the slightest, he was like at the slightest hint of like there being like actual danger and trouble, Doyle coming after you, we pull the plug, mm-hmm. which is why Hooker hadn't told him that there were like hitmen after him. So 
Gondorf knew that would happen. So he yeah. had somebody watch Hooker. I just. It's great. It's so great. I loved it. So we get to actual like time where it's happening. So again, we've seen this happen two times already. Now there is a briefcase with half a million dollars. This is we're, we're in Doyle. the sting. Mm-hmm. We're in the section that is the sting. Yes. And it's going off without a hitch. Doyle gets his tip. He walks in, is like, okay, here we're going to go. Um, and I love that they make a big deal out of the size of the bet. And like, because they're like, the it stakes could break and us. the tension. It's, it's like, again, selling it to and, oh, Doyle. And every time Doyle has come in, Gondorf as Shaw has needled him so that he so wants to take him down. And there's this great, like, rivalry and antagonism between the two of them mm-hmm. and then Doyle tries to do it back to Gondorf as Shaw being like oh are you afraid to take the bet and then Shaw's like no take the bet <laughs> again so that, that Doyle thinks he's there. gotten him yes ah uh, we also notably saw Gondorf like put a pistol in his waistband mm-hmm. and then shortly after that the FBI is like setting up that they're going to raid the place with Snyder. They're like telling Snyder, like we're going to go in and we're going to raid the place. And like your job is going to be to get Doyle out of there because like, we don't care about Doyle. Yeah. They set that up really good. Yeah. They're like, we don't care about him, but we might need him as a witness. So you're going to need to like get him out of there and everything. And one of them like says something about like, no one in there is going to be armed. And so you're like, Oh shit, what's going to happen? Cause one of them is going to be armed. Yes. That tension, again, layers on layers on layers on layers. So but many layers. They, they build it up again when the tipster, who is not the Western Union employee, comes in and is like, oh, you put it on, on place, right? And he's like, no, I put it on win. And I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I see what's about to happen. He's about to like lose all of his money again. And that's, again, when the shit hits the fan. So as soon as he is like, I want my money back, all hell breaks loose. We see both Gondorf and Hooker get shot. Like, they're laying on the ground dead. Doyle is like, what the hell just happened? And is rushed out as... By Snyder. Intended. By Snyder, who had been poking around a little too much. Because there is a line earlier where they're like, oh, we're going to have to do something about Snyder. Mm -hmm. Which brings us back to the FBI. Because after Snyder has rushed Doyle out, head FBI guy is revealed to be part of the plot. I don't know about you, but when all the FBI stuff was introduced, I was unsure if that was part of the plot. I thought it might be because I was like, they said they were going to need to do something about Snyder. Like what a perfect way to like misdirect him. Mm -hmm. But then when they bring in um, Hooker, the way Robert Redford played it, like was so good and so sincere. I was like, maybe Hooker is actually turning on him. Like they've hinted a couple times that it might happen. Like I I thought when I'm, I'm like gaming the movie there because I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be like a twist that they would try and pull that like mm-hmm. he he's turned on him and everything? Because I was unsure whether or not the FBI. Well, initially I thought they were definitely part of the con. Then I was like, wait, maybe they're not. And then at the end with the reveal, here's where I was like, wait a minute. When you have a movie that is predicated on somebody conning somebody else or somebody not being who they seem they are, mm-hmm. it's very important that they're consistent when they're with the people they're trying to fool Mm -hmm. and then when they're alone they should drop the facade right because like you wouldn't keep up an illusion 
if you're by yourself. No, you would not. And I think I think that's where a lot of movies fall flat is that they have some sort of scene where like the character that's going to be like the twist reveal at the end is acting still acting as if the illusion were going on while they're by themselves. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wait a minute. I'm going to go back and check that second scene when Hooker's like apparently folds to the FBI because I was like, I wanted to make sure I couldn't remember if if Snyder was there or not. I was like, did, was Snyder there to witness him fold? Because if Snyder's not there to witness him fold, everything falls apart. Because mm-hmm. why would you be acting if you're both in on the con? No, Snyder is standing there the entire time that is happening. So like, it plays. they did it perfectly. Like the the internal logic of it is absolutely flawless, which is so important. <laughs> Uh-huh. with something and like this it's the thing is if it weren't flawless you would have immediately sniffed it out right i mean if, it, if it's not flawless like everything falls apart mm-hmm. but they did it and they got it now they fooled the lonigan they fooled me uh yeah i'm so glad they were able to fool, fool us but i love how hooker doesn't take any money at the end and it was like literally for the thrill of the job and and, and for the back. revenge yeah he says he, he got what he wanted and there's a line very early on where Gondorf tells him he's like you know you're the foolish young kid like Mm -hmm. like don't do it for revenge yeah because you got no one to get out Mm -hmm. like you you can't be greedy about it basically and Hooker's like you know what it's not enough but it'll do (laughs) that part I I did like quite a lot and I mean it's not going to bring Luther back as much as we wish it would yeah anyway pretty solid movie and yeah I I definitely like I appreciate how much thought had to go into this and like what a delicate balance it is you know considering it is such like a light movie and like the tone's pretty light through most of it you Mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily think like how delicate that plot really is but it is and they pull it off and they do it and I loved being surprised same it was a lot of fun. This is the kind of surprise I like (laughs) in my movie. Not the jump scares. No jump scares. Fair. So shall we move into lists? Let's move into lists. Okay. So I actually already know where I want this for once in my life. And so for me, it's my new number 12. So it is below Tom Jones, but above In the Heat of the Night. So I think when I think about In the Heat of the Night versus The Sting, really... I remember loving In the Heat of the Night for the majority of the film. Like, it was set up beautifully. The acting was superb. A lot of the visuals were great. And then the letdown at the end is just like, why? You could have made the solution to this so much more engaging. I felt the exact opposite way with The Sting. So not only, like, the performances were not the best in maybe the first third, but once you moved past that, Things got better. Things got quicker. I was invested and the payoff was so worth it in a way that I don't think in the heat of the night was able to to achieve. Great. Now, comparing that to Tom Jones, like the comedic aspects are kind of like where I'm thinking of these two movies next to one another where I just, Tom Jones is so quirky and funny and like, again, internally consistent. And like you get all of these really fun, inventive things with that movie that while I think The Sting probably borrowed aspects of that style, it's just not the original article. No, and and Tom Jones was in general just like, a, it was a 
even tighter script. Like there weren't mm-hmm. dips in it. I just, yeah, Tom Jones is our like. It's our sleeper hit. Great find. It's our great, like our great find that neither of us had ever heard of. And we were just like so in. I literally recommend it to like everybody. Oh, everyone should watch that movie. It is like one of the few, like maybe 10. <laughs> so for me, I didn't put it twice as high. Although like I will, I enjoyed this movie so much. I had a blast watching it. Um I know I sent you like a million nonsensical texts like as I was watching it. Just it's fine. being like You were just excited. I was so excited about this. Um I I you know it had been kind of like a rough couple of weeks at work and this was just exactly what I needed. That being said, it is ranked a little bit lower for me. It's it's pretty much smack middle of the pack. So I put the sting as my new number 22. Okay. So above Grand Hotel, because I think the script is tighter. There aren't really dips in performances the way there were in Grand Hotel, specifically with like John Barrymore. Like I did have to warm up to Robert Redford's performance a little bit, but like once Mm -hmm. it got going, it was, it like blew me away. There wasn't really like a weak link long-term throughout the film the way there was in Grand Hotel. And then I, it's below... Or wait, sorry, it's my new 23. That's what the number would be. Gotcha. So exactly the middle. Um, But below Mrs. Miniver, because while I think overall performances were better, like even though the overall performances were better, no single performance could live up to Greer Garson and Teresa Wright and Mrs. Miniver. And just like the cinematography in Mrs. Miniver was like so incredible. And I still like think about it mm-hmm. sometimes. Um Oh, you're making me feel guilty for putting it above Mrs. Miniver. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> it's it's hard. It's definitely hard. And it, we've talked, I think, I think we ran into the same problem when we were talking about like Tom Jones is that there are so few just like lighter, more fun comedies among mm-hmm. the best pictures that it becomes very hard to rank them. And I try not to have that be like a mark against it. But like, yeah, there's nothing about the sting that's like novel. Like it doesn't really make me think that much. But it did surprise you. Right, which is big. And sometimes that's what I want is to not think. I do think that while I personally was really happy that I then watched Double Feature This was with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, it was also apparent to me that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is a better film. There's nothing wrong with that. I, mean... I know, but so it may have made me <laughs> knock the sting down a little bit, just like in comparison of having like watched it against mm-hmm. another film that I wish had won Best Picture, but we will talk about that on another episode. <laughs> But I don't know, Sounds but it's good. it's strictly middle of the pack. It was it was a fun watch. Yeah, I, I'd still recommend it. I think it's worth it and probably worth a second watch. Like, I would watch it again. Absolutely. Yeah. And there are many Best Picture winners that I have ranked higher than this that I probably wouldn't watch again. Yeah. It's also tough because I feel like so many times I'm like, I'm ranking this on quality of movie, but quality of movie doesn't necessarily mean brought me the most joy. Correct. Looking at you all quiet on the Western front. (laughs) Oh boy, no kidding. (laughs) So good. Not a lot of joy. (laughs) All right. What's what's up next? What are we doing next? So the next film that we are going to be doing is A Godfather Part 2. I'm optimistic. Sorry, sorry, sorry. wrong article. The Godfather Part (laughs) 2. Just A Godfather. Just any old Godfather. Um, I'm optimistic, but we may need to do a special episode before that one because I feel like I need a little bit more of a palate cleanser. Okay, but here's the thing. Then we get to watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, 
Rocky <sighs> and Annie Hall. Oh. Well, here's the thing. If we don't do a special episode, then we get to watch Rocky sooner, which there you go. I'm a fan of. But like, what if as our palate cleanser before Godfather Part Two, we watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? <laughs> I like your option better. We'll think about it. We'll discuss. Until then, you can let us know if there are any special episodes you would like us to do before we hit the godfather part two or if you're like oh my god you guys hurry up and do the godfather part two by finding us on social media we are at best pictures pod on instagram and twitter you can also email us in at best best pictures podcast at gmail.com also please rate subscribe review especially rate and review all that good stuff so thank you for listening and as we said join us next time for Maybe The Godfather Part 2. Maybe Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Just have to wait to find out. (laughs) Maybe something else that Maggie suddenly has the urge to watch. I love it.